With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. This is the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm. Um, there, again, is just so much to say about a whole bunch of things that happened. Most of them just awful. Really nothing good has happened recently. Um, ah, Justin Bieber dropped an album yesterday, so that was actually pretty cool. But outside of that, um, I don't know, maybe if you guys aren't single, you enjoy Valentine's Day. Uh, so there's that. But no, this has been a really tough week to be a Buffs fan. Um, honestly, in some ways, a, f- a fun week to be a Buffs reporter. It's it's not not a good week by any means, but it has been interesting just being on the phone constantly for four or five days and just listen to all the stories that come out, whether they're about Mel, whether they're about the reactions to Mel, whether they're about um, potential coaches, those sorts of rumors, all these different things. Um, I don't know if I call it a fun week as much as it's just been interesting and it's been a little bit of a different challenge than we typically um, have faced, but uh, just information flying in a bunch of different directions, trying to get it confirmed, trying to get all that kind of stuff. But we'll dig into some of that later on. Um, we'll talk about the basketball game last night, which, you know what? It's disappointing. Every loss is going to hurt. But if you listen to the last podcast, when I talked with RK, um, feels like years ago that we had that podcast. Um, you know that we said if, if Colorado actually does win that game, we're talking about them as a final four team. And if they lose by 20 points, then that's kind of what we expect in a situation like this. We'll, we'll talk more about that Oregon game. Obviously, things aren't quite that simple. Um, there are a lot of things to like about last night. There are some things you definitely don't like about last night. But the truth is, Oregon is 12-0 and now at home this season. Home teams, and I guess this was as of the end of the Oregon game. I'm not sure if the home teams won after that. Um, because it was back to the phones. Uh, but as of that last, the, the Oregon game last night, home teams were 48 and 18 in the Pac-12 this season. 
it's again the odds were really stacked against Colorado. Then you factor in that I believe that was also the twelfth straight game between Colorado and Oregon that the home team has won. Um, so it hurts. It hurts that Colorado lost. You you saw the potential there for them to win, take control of the Pac-12, jump up in the standings, but having that expectation would have been kind of unfair to this basketball team. But we'll dig into that as well um, again. And then there's the game against Oregon State tomorrow, which for, what, the fourth time in conference play, the, the Buffs just have their backs up against the wall, need to get a win, and so far they've come through every time. Um We'll see if they can do it again. It's going to be a challenge. I think Oregon State is still second to last. They're 11th out of 12 teams in the Pac-12. But I think they've won four games already. So it's not like they're a bad basketball team. I really do think that 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 middle tier, that lower middle tier is just so wide. And it's it's tough to beat those teams on the road. Um, a bunch of thoughts about Mel, though, and that's how we're going to start. Um, but first, I want to tell you about Illegal Pete's and all of the awesome things they do for us. Um, they give us great burritos uh, and tacos and nachos. And if you guys haven't checked them out, you have to because if you go before or after any game or event on the same day, you can show them your ticket um, and you'll get a free draft beer or a free margarita with the purchase of an entree. It's a steal. Um, there's, there's nothing better. It's always fun. It's a local business. You can order online and pick it up when you get there. It means you don't have to worry about the long lines that they sometimes have because it is so popular. Nine locations in Colorado, um, actually some in Arizona now, uh, but Illegal Pete's is definitely a Colorado business. They have two locations in Boulder, one in Fort Collins. The other six are in Denver. Definitely check them out. Definitely get your free beer margarita with the purchase of an entree on the same day as your ticket to an event. Mel Tucker. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how this process plays out. Um, immediately everybody hates Mel, um, hate for Mel everywhere. Uh, which is reasonable for sure. I'm not saying that that's a, a bad feeling to have, but but watching the transition from hating Mel to not wanting to hear about Mel to, you know, eventually when Michigan State comes on, Buffs fans are going to say, wow, I hope they lose, but, but it isn't going to be this constant thought process. Every Mel Tucker tweet isn't going to be buried in FUs and that sort of thing because <laughs> things are getting ugly. People are, people are mean. Um, and again, that's, that's how they're venting. It's, it makes sense to be emotional about all this. I mean, we loved Mel one week ago. Um, as of right now, what it's, it's three o'clock on Friday. That first report, um, came out at five o'clock last Friday, one week ago right now, we had no idea that there was any chance that Mel was not going to be the Buffs head coach for the 2020 season. Um, we're all on the same page. We, we, we thought that he, uh, was going to be the guy to keep building this football program back to what it should be. And that whole process just totally tipped everything on its head. Um, what I want to dig into now is uh, the potential coaches who could replace Mel. And, and Ryan and I talked about this a little bit, and you guys have probably seen some names floating around. Um if you guys are subscribers to DNVR, then you saw that 
I think right now I have 4,300 words up on 15 different coaches. It's a lot, and it's overwhelming. And basically, I spent all yesterday either on the phone with somebody or reading up on these guys, talking to people about these guys, and then putting everything that I learned into that story so that we could share it and you guys wouldn't have to spend six, seven hours doing what I did yesterday. Um, But I also said on Twitter today that if there's anybody else who you guys are interested in, let me know and I will add that on. Um, When I get the spare time, I'll write up another 300 words, 400 words on whoever you guys are interested in with my takes, some more information for people who may not know as much about them. Um, As soon as I'm done taping this, I'm going to uh, update it with Bob Stoops and uh oh the the outside linebackers coach from um from uh the giants how am i blanking on his name oh bilma uh yeah 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 so those two are the next two up um again check that out there are 15 guys on there some of them unattainable some of them you wouldn't want to touch anyway uh, right now i want to touch on a couple that i have found most interesting Um, Ryan was really high on Graham Harrell when he was on the show. I wasn't, but the more I think about it, the more I read about him, the more I like it. Uh, He's right up there at the top. He's actually moved up in my rankings. Maybe I should change it in the story. I'm not sure. Um, but, But he is up there. He is one of these young coaches. Uh, so so many interesting things about him. Uh, has, he was a great quarterback in college and played pro football for five years afterward. So he's 34. And, and there are some other head coach candidates uh, who are also 34. You know, uh, oh, uh, the uh, Missouri defensive coordinator who played for the Buffs, uh, Ryan Walters, he's also 34. But the difference is Graham Harrell played five years of football. So he has the coaching experience of a 29-year-old. And, you know, you do gain experience working in the NFL, um, which he, he did for a couple of years. He was also in the CFL for a bit. But uh, you, you definitely gain some experience. But in terms of just pure coaching experience, he has what you'd expect from about a 29-year-old. Um, and that's what turned me off initially. And that's what turned me off last year when, when he was rumored for the Broncos job. But... The more I read, the more I like it. Um, the more, not just like about who he is, but about what people say about him. Um, it's some impressive stuff. Just so you guys know, he's, he started his career, he was a quality control coach under Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. Um, and he implemented the air raid system. So, so he actually played for Mike Leach in college. Um, and that was his next stop after Oklahoma State. Um, he was an offensive analyst and outside receivers coach eventually there, uh, again, taught the air raid, which he learned initially from Mike Leach in college. Um, then he became the offensive coordinator at North Texas for two years, 2017, 2018. Um, the, there are plenty of stats that you could look at that, that would say he did an incredible job. The offense became remarkably more consistent, scored more points. Um, and, and then he turned that into the offensive coordinator job at USC last season. And you guys will remember they had the injuries to the quarterbacks. You now have Keaton Slotus, Slovis, sorry, uh, who is one of, one of the top names 
uh, for for the Heisman Trophy this year. I bet if I bet he's top five in Heisman odds if you wanted to bet on it, uh, which will be legal here soon. And so then I don't have to feel weird about whether I should be saying that. Um, but but yeah, he's incredibly successful, um, and he he runs the air raid, obviously. Um, and and that's something that had turned me off from him um, initially because I didn't like the idea of the change. You know, you think of what Mel Tucker did. Uh, they the the buffs in this recruiting class brought in the most players who are three hundred pounds or heavier in the Pac-12. Uh, I think they actually tied. I think they tied with Utah. Um, but but again, he's recruiting size. He's recruiting bulk. He's recruiting running backs. He wants a stable of running backs that can just pound and pound and pound and not wear down over the course of a game. Um, and I know it doesn't matter as much now because Mel's gone, but those are the players that he has on the team. And those are the philosophies that he's kind of been ingraining in these kids. All of a sudden changing that, saying, hey, offensive linemen, we're actually not going to be running these power schemes we want you guys to take wide splits, make it uh, tougher for the uh, outside rushers to get to the quarterback in time just because they have to run farther. All these different philosophies um, that you'd be implementing. That turned me off. Um, I thought the best move for the buffs would be to try to build on top of what Mel Tucker did in his one year in Boulder. You know, keep playing power football, build from the trenches out. That's why a guy like Bielema becomes more interesting. And he was the he was the first name that I left off my list. And again, he was the first one I was asked like to put on it. So this would be a departure from what the buffs have been doing. Then you think about what the air raid requires. And the the biggest thing is that you have to have a bunch of receivers. You don't necessarily have to have super talented receivers um, you, because it's, it's all the scheme. There are only 5, 10, 12 different plays that, that they actually run. And it's a lot of 4 wide, it's a lot of 5 wide, and the spacing is just designed to beat the defense. It, it's going to get somebody open. It doesn't require LaVisca Chenault winning a one-on-one matchup. It requires a guy to just do his job, go to a spot, and if everybody goes to their spot, then it will pull the defense apart. Um, sometimes you need a pretty smart quarterback. You need somebody who understands the system. That is scary when you know that you're starting um, a, a freshman, likely, in Brendan Lewis. Who knows where Brendan Lewis now stands? When Mel Tucker was the head coach, when Jay Johnson was the offensive coordinator, um, all these coaches were doing whatever they were planning to do this season, it was going to be Brendan Lewis's job. Things change when there's a coaching change. This is going to open things up. I do think it shifts the odds in favor of a Tyler Lytle or a Blake Stenstrom. Um, whereas I do think that Brendan Lewis, uh, under this coaching staff, pretty much had that top job locked up. Um, he's got to be disappointed. Um, he's got to be really disappointed. But uh, for Graham Harrell's error raid, again, it, it just requires reading the defense, seeing what defense they're playing. Are the, if, if they're playing cover three, then you want to run four verticals. 
Send two guys up the sidelines, two guys up the seams, make their cornerbacks, the two cornerbacks who are dropping back deep on the boundary, playing the deep thirds, and make the free safety in the middle of the field, make them each pick a guy and leave one guy open. And then if something changes, then you have one of those guys read what the defense is doing and sit down in a gap. You know, it's a really simple system, but it's a system that you have to understand. This isn't... You think of what Patrick Mahomes is so good at, um, an, an air raid product, and we're all so surprised that Patrick Mahomes didn't find more success in college, that he didn't break college football. Well, what does he do in the NFL? He throws to guys who are winning one-on-one matchups, and you know Tyreek Hill is too fast. Um, the other receivers are too fast. You put them in a one-on-one matchup. They're going to run across the field. They're going to outrun whoever. Pat's going to buy time and then get those guys the ball. He isn't a quick throw quarterback. He isn't the West Coast type of quarterback. I mean, even though it is kind of a West Coast offense, but it's different now. Um, There's a lot of spread concepts in there. You let those guys work and get open and buy time, and that's when they get the big plays. That's, That's what they're looking for. Um, you think of what the air raid does and you want that ball out in two seconds every single time. It's boom, boom, boom. Step, step, pass. And and the ball's out and you keep moving. That's not what he does. Um, Mahomes doesn't need a system to make him look good. He's just a good quarterback. That's why he went in the 20s because he wasn't somewhere where he was just out there making plays. Um, this changes the equation of what you're looking for for a quarterback. You know, uh, having a quarterback who can run is always great, but it isn't necessarily what's most important in this scheme. Um, And that's why I think that Brendan Lewis is in a little bit tougher spot um, because he doesn't know what the scheme is going to be. And if it does end up being, I guess Graham Harrell's likely the only air raid option the Buffs could choose, but, you know, that would put him in a tough spot. Um and everybody has their own schemes. Some work better for him. Some work a lot worse. Um, but, again, the reason this works so well for the Buffs um, is that the Buffs have so many receivers who are good, but not necessarily guys who should dominate the Pac-12. Um, maybe some get there. Maybe Daniel Arias does break out this year. But I'd feel a lot better scheming these guys open than letting them try to go out and get themselves open because they're good route runners, good football players in general. They have a lot of guys who are B-quality receivers. They don't have a LaVisca Chenault um, that we know of. Again, any of these guys could just break out. And because of that, you can run seven deep like the air raid requires. Go fast rotate them in and out just have them do their job get them to ball catch the ball and then maybe make a play after um i i think that this receiving group would be almost perfect for an air raid system um it'd be a lot of fun too um just covering the air raid putting up big numbers and if you have the defense then that becomes even more interesting you know the the philosophy is always if you have a good defense, then you run the ball. You don't turn the ball over. You put the defense in good situations. And honestly, that's what I believe. But then you look at Vic Fangio and the Broncos saying, no, we don't want uh, 
the whatever his name was, the offensive coordinator, uh, to to be trying to pound the ball, run the ball. They kicked him out, and they brought in Pat Shermer, who's going to throw the ball downfield a lot. Maybe that's just what you do now. Um, I do think Graham Harrell is a really interesting option, especially now that Mike Leach is gone and there isn't an air raid team in the Pac-12. Remember what it was like game planning for the triple option against Air Force and how awful it was and how bad we felt for the other Mountain West schools except for Colorado State who have to play Air Force every single year? That's kind of what the air raid does to teams. Um, You get some gimmick wins. You get some fluke wins because teams just aren't prepared for what you're throwing at them. I think it'd be an interesting route. Uh, and you can get good at it. You, it, it isn't just gimmick wins that you're getting because you can just play good football within an air raid system and win a bunch of football games. So so those are some thoughts on Graham Harrell, who is kind of just skyrocketing up my list. Uh, tempting. Really tempting in my mind. I also... Uh, Really like Andy Avalos, the more I look into him, Oregon's defensive coordinator. Um, You know, you worry that a young coach who doesn't have much experience is finding success because of the situation that he is put in. You know, he's given all of Oregon's talent. They didn't have a bad defense before, and he kicked it up a notch. And, you know, maybe some of that was luck. Maybe some of that was just being more talented. But there's a lot to like about what he did in particular. That, again, he's only 38. This would be his first job as a head coach. I do think that he deserves essentially all of the credit for this Oregon defense. He didn't just go there and say, keep doing what you're doing. Um, We'll adjust just just go out talent them. No, he he implemented a very complex scheme uh, similar to what Colorado implemented. Maybe not exactly in what they did, but in terms of having multiple checks for every play, having a deep playbook and you know, it, it would be frustrating to see all these guys on the Buffs defense have to learn a new playbook to, to go through all these growing pains again that they went through all last season up until the last few weeks when things started, started to finally click. But I think that having been through that process before would make it easier. I really do. And by all accounts, Avalos is a great teacher um the players find him very relatable he spends a lot of time with them uh i do think that maybe you could speed it up just a little bit more the second time around um but here's here's the theory behind his defense the idea is that you want it to look totally different as often as possible you don't want the defense to look the same more than two three times in a game because that gives the offense a chance to learn what you're doing and learn from the mistakes that it's made. If they don't put the offense in the same situation twice, then they can't learn from the mistakes that they've made. Um, so it's a multiple front. It's not a 3-4. It's not a 4-3. It changes based on the play call. Um, 
and you look at the talent that the Buffs have, I think that they could pull something like that off. Uh, and you just shift back and forth and back and forth doing a whole bunch of different things, and it's just so unpredictable. Um, you you don't know what you're seeing because you don't get used to seeing the same thing over and over again. Uh, and it worked. It obviously worked. Um, it also worked at Boise State, um, where he was the defensive coordinator for three seasons. Um, and in those three seasons, each one of those three seasons, the Broncos were in the top 25 in the country enforcing turnovers because the offense was so confused. Uh, I really like that with the air raid scheme. Um, obviously you couldn't get both of those guys, but I think it'd be a fun pairing, you know, even with a more conservative offense, I think it could be successful. That's, that's what Oregon did. They pounded the ball. They ran the ball. Um, they, they forced more turnovers than they committed. And when you do that, you win a lot of football games with a young quarterback, putting him in good situations as often as possible. seems like it has to be the goal. You know, I don't think this is the type of just kind of, you know, the boa constrictor defense where you just squeeze the air out of them and you say, you know what, you might pick up a first down if if we don't give up a big play, but you're going to have to pick up four, five, six first downs before we let you into the end zone. And that type of defense, that defense that is more conservative and isn't trying to jump passes, you know, it, it can be successful, but you're often giving up a first down, giving up two first downs, three before you're forcing a punt, four before you're forcing a punt. And when that happens, you're typically getting pinned back pretty deep. And with a young quarterback, a first-year quarterback, no matter what in the buff scheme, I don't know that I like that. I I think that maybe if you're trying to run the ball a lot, maybe you do jump some passes. Um, try to confuse the defense. Uh, that... I really I really like everything Andy Avalos has done. I think he might be my top choice right now. Um, you know, in my list, I included a couple names. I included Urban Meyer. Um, he was one of the three that I said are just pretty much unattainable. But in terms of the people who I think actually are attainable, Andy Avalos, I think he was the number two on the list of attainable players but or coaches, but now I have him moved up to number one. Um really like so much of what he did. Um, He also might be the type of coach that would benefit from sticking as a coordinator for one more year. You know, again, it's, it's easy to look at somebody in his situation and brush it off pretty quickly and say, eh, he was put in a good situation. The fact that Oregon had success isn't much of a surprise. You know, if you dig deeper, like I finally had a chance to do yesterday, then you see, oh, wow, he really was influential. And the way guys talk about him makes you think that he is going to be a a pretty good head coach when he gets his shot. But on the surface, you say, well, guess what? He, He was good as a defensive coordinator at Boise State. Boise State is the powerhouse of the Mountain West. Everybody who's gone there has had success. Oregon, a very successful program. He has one year of success there. Maybe going back, having a second year where he has a dominant defense, I think Oregon could have a shot to be one of the best defenses in the country next year. That would benefit him. Also, not only was he a coach 
at Boise State for seven years. He also played his college football there. He was born in Boise. He might be waiting for the Boise State job to open up. The guy right now at Boise State, Brian Harson, he has had obviously a lot of success at Boise State, and he could be on his way to a, a head coach job next year, which would open up the head coach job at Boise State, which might be more interesting to a guy like Andy Avalos. Um, Avalos, though, he does have the boulder ties. He was he spent three years as a graduate assistant um, at Colorado, and his contract for 2020 with Oregon is only worth $815,000. So you could you could triple his salary in 2020 and still be paying him less than you were supposed to pay Mel Tucker in 2020. That would be really tough for anybody to turn down, as Mel Tucker shows. But uh, he also uh, doesn't have to pay a buyout as long as he's leaving Oregon to become the head coach at an FBS school, Colorado, famously, an FBS school. So that $3 million that Michigan State is paying Colorado to buy out Mel Tucker's contract, you just get to pocket that. You don't have to pay to, to buy out your next coach if you choose Andy Avalos. Um, means more money for the assistant coaches, all that good stuff. Um, Avalos, I think, is the number one on my list right now. Harson again, not, not a bad option either. Um, more of an offensive guy. Uh, but 40 and eight at Boise State has has won double digit games in five out of six seasons. The only time he didn't was in 2015 when he went nine and four. Um, he only makes 1.7 or 1.75 million, and he would only have a 250 thousand dollar buyout. Um, I don't. Oh wait, no, Harson was born in Boise. Were they both born in Boise? I don't know, um, but uh, the I, I do think that Avalos is a great option. I think Harson would make some sense. He's already been a head coach, and uh, Walters is still probably the favorite in my book. Ryan Walters from Missouri, who we'll probably talk more about. Um, also, keep an eye on Graham Harrell. Um, I've also heard some whispers about Sarkeesian. I can't really confirm any of those um, as much as some of the others but Steve Sarkeesian for those of you who don't know the whole story essentially he he's a he was a great up-and-coming offensive mind um, he was a quarterback in college uh, when when he was 26 he was the quarterback coach at USC he worked with Carson Palmer Matt Leinart Matt Castle then he went to the Raiders to be a quarterback coach. Um, Rich Gannon got hurt, so then he coached up Kerry Collins. Remember Kerry Collins? That was a weird thing. Um, he was the head coach at uh, Washington when he was 34, stayed there until he was 39, and became the head coach at USC. That's an incredible background. Um, all of those things point to him being the type of coach who could just be dominant. Um he, he could end up being one of the top coaches in college football. 
But when he was at USC, uh, he struggled with alcoholism. At one point, he uh, he showed up to a pre-practice meeting just with the coaches, and the coaches allegedly smelled alcohol in his breath and said, no, you need to go home. Um, we'll handle practice. And uh, there were some other incidents that um, were reported uh, involving alcohol, there was also some similar incidents at Washington, um, and those reports kind of came out when the USC stuff was coming out. And so Sarkeesian ended up going to a rehab facility, um, and it, I mean, pretty sad story. But for the next season, uh, what would this be? Would this be 2016? He was back in football. He was an offensive analyst at Alabama. Um, by the end of the year, when Lane Kiffin took a head coaching job, uh, right before the national championship, Sarkeesian filled in um, as offensive coordinator. So that's pretty pretty crazy to go from offensive analyst to offensive coordinator in that one season at Alabama for the national championship game. Uh, the next year, he replaced Kyle Shanahan as the Falcons offensive coordinator, was there for two years then was fired. The offense wasn't nearly as good. Who knows if that's because uh, Sarkeesian wasn't a good at his job or whether it was because Kyle Shannon, Shanahan was so good at his job. Um, then uh, last year, Sarkeesian went back to Alabama as the full-time offensive coordinator. And so that's what he did this season. We haven't heard anything about any alcohol problems in four years, more than four years. And uh, his salary is supposed to be $1.55 million at Alabama this year. So Colorado could easily offer him more, offer him the head coach job. Um, he's an interesting option for sure. Um, definitely big boomer bust potential. Um, I, I, I think I personally would like the move. Uh, kind of depends on how everything else shakes out. Who's interested? You know, if, if Urban Meyer uh, does say, "Hey, you know what? I'll I'll take half my normal salary and come to Boulder for a, a couple years," then then that'd be great. But assuming nothing crazy happens, if, if Sarkeesian comes in, I'll I'll give the Buffs a B at least. Um, you know, it's there are a lot of options. There are a lot of things that'll be shaking out. Um. Likely before next week, I'm pretty sure that the Buffs are going to want to uh, get their head coach into Boulder in time for the last basketball homestand of the season. Get to parade him around Thursday and Saturday, let him shake hands, make a good impression, all that kind of stuff. Um, It makes sense to me. I've heard some whispers that that's a goal, but uh, (sighs) here we are. This isn't... This isn't fun. It can be interesting. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I love these conversations. Um, but sure would be nice just to have continuity. Um, Mel was a good football coach. Um, I think that they can find another good football coach. Um, it'd be interesting to go through and say, which one of these guys would you like better than Mel? Um, and... Uh, it's going to be a lot tougher to find one of those guys at this time of year because most of them already have jobs. Most of them would uh, feel bad if they left their current jobs in February. Um, But I do think there are some of those guys out there. And 
I'd like to see some of them. The more the more I read about these guys, the more I like a lot of them. Um, and I'm not so pessimistic about the Buffs' chance of landing somebody. I, I those are three guys. I've, I just used notes. I picked pieces from uh, my story I wrote. I spent all day on that, and like my fingers were cramping. And I'm gonna add some more to it after this. Um, Bob Stoops. I would like to dig in more there. I, again, I I dug in enough to say, eh, I don't have him on his list. I had him on my list of 25 before I narrowed it down to 15. Um, and Bielema, I had at 16. He was the last one cut. So who knows? Maybe those guys make sense. I'm not sure which tier they fit in. I'm going to have to make a new tier. But if there's anybody else you guys are interested in, let me know. And I'll add them to the story. I'll talk about them on the podcast. Um, right now, I mean, there's I have a bunch of stuff about Chev in there, all my Chev takes. Um, the overarching theme is he's not ready. I'm looking through these guys' resumes and comparing you know, Sarkeesian has those outside. Uh, let's not let's not pull Sarkeesian in because of the different background that he has, uh, the struggles with alcoholism. But uh, you you look at a guy like Avalos, who was just the defensive coordinator at Oregon, where he ran one of the best defenses in the country, top twenty defense in the country. Uh, before that, he won a lot of games at Boise State. That resume to me is more impressive than Chev's. You know, Chev was an offensive coordinator. Uh, the results weren't, I mean, they were negative. Uh, maybe not terrible, but there, there was a reason a change was made. He's He is a great recruiter, um, but I, I think that Avalos's resume would make more sense to me. Um, and that's true of a lot of these guys. Chev could totally get there, and he could only be a few years away. If if Mel had stayed the three, four years that we expected him to, I think that Chev would have had a, a decent shot at being the next head coach. But the way I see it right now, there there are a lot of guys with good resumes who I think the Buffs will be after first. Eric Bieniemy, I don't think he's a consideration. I think that the interview is going to be a formality. I think that there will be an interview. Um uh, ESPN reported last night, Thursday night, that the Buffs did reach out Thursday night for the first time. There was some mutual interest, and they're going to see where the conversations go. I do think that there will be an interview just because uh, the Buffs athletic department has to appease Buffs fans. Biennemi is a legend in Boulder, and you can't just totally ignore him. It's a good look to say, guess what? We talked to him, and it didn't go right, and it's a lot better than saying, eh, we didn't even call him up. Um, Biennemi's end, he wants to be an NFL head coach, and to not be called up for this job would look pretty bad for him. So it just makes sense for both sides to go out to dinner and chat. Um, I think we might have talked about this with Ryan. In terms of a fit in Boulder, I don't see one. People in the athletics department, uh, the, there, there are some. He, Bienemy didn't leave under the best of circumstances. Um, I, I've talked to sources who said he actually he interviewed for the head coaching job with John Embry, and uh, I've heard from sources that Bienemy actually had the better interview, and that Embry got the job anyway. And maybe Biennemi had some tough feelings about that. And there was a falling out between Biennemi and Embry and also other members of the athletic department. 
And then you get back into the past when he was arrested, I think, three times in Boulder, once for a bar fight, um, once for harassing a uh, parking attendant, once for shoving a uh, firefighter who was responding to his mom's house. Um, and Biennemi was banned from Boulder's campus while he was in the NFL for a year. Um and I, I mean, he's already come back and coached in Boulder, so some of those things have taken care of themselves. Getting the regents to sign off on that is going to be a lot tough, tougher now than it was then, and it's going to be even tougher also because it's for the head coach job and not just his offensive coordinator. Um, I think there's a good chance that Eric Bieniemy goes on to have a great NFL career or coaching career. I think that that's totally on the table. Um I don't think that it makes much sense to bring him back to Boulder at this point. Um, not when you, there are so many options that will likely cause less drama in a bunch of different ways. So those are my thoughts there. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, as always, let me know. Um, I, I did see we have some comments. We'll get to all of those, but uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and, I would challenge you to research as many different guys as you can. Um, also, start by subscribing to DNVR and reading my thoughts on all of them. Um, but also, like, look around, see what people say. Get into, I don't know, Missouri Reddit and see what they're saying. Would they be disappointed if uh, Ryan Walters leaves? What are their thoughts on him? Um, because I do think that the more you look around at the outsiders the less interested you become in, you know, Jim Levitt, uh, Eric Bieniemy, Darren Cheverini, just because there, you can find better resumes, you can find people who look like they might have brighter futures, whatever the case may be. Again, I love Chev. And p part of the reason I wouldn't hire him as head coach is because if things don't go well, then he's out. You know, you, you aren't going to hire a new head coach after Cheverini's the full-time head coach and keep Cheverini on staff. Like, that just causes a rift. You can't have the the last king still kind of involved but working under the new king. You know, it's just so rare that that works out well for you. Um, so, so Cheverini would likely be gone. And I don't think you can afford to lose him. And so when you do give him a chance to be the head coach, he has to be as as good at that job as he will ever be and you have to be confident it's going to go right because you need him here recruiting um, if not so I would wait I think the next time it comes open at that point it might be Chev's to lose as of right now yeah you know I'm I'm I he isn't at the top of my list I do think that he was totally the right choice for interim coach though I think that that's a role that fits him perfectly for a whole bunch of different reasons um starting with you know that he's not following Mel to Michigan State. Um, okay. Um, I'm thirsty. And when I'm thirsty during podcasts, I drink Breck, or not Breck beers. I drink I drink Starbucks cold brew coffee, and they still won't sponsor me. But uh, I would really like to drink a Breck brew. The problem is, for the next like week and a half until this whole coaching search is filled out, and then the staff is all totally filled out 
There's just going to be the potential for news to break or calls coming in from people that I can't be drunk to talk to. So basically, I can have like two beers before midnight or 1 a.m. And then I'm allowed to to drink more than that. Um, that's how I see it, at least. And so right now, I'm just drinking my uh, my coffee, even though I'd love to have some Breckenridge beers. Um, if you guys want to try some, you can use the beer locator on Breckenridge's website. It'll tell you all of the different places where you can find Breckenridge beers. You can pick specific beers if you want to talk about the new Mile High City beer, which they partnered with the Avalanche to make and then partnered with us to make a shirt for. Um, the shirt sold out. We got more. I'm not sure if it's sold out again. If you want one, you should probably get one quickly. The Avalanche is classic. Um, right now, Strawberry Sky is the one that I would love to be drinking. Um, again, if you want to try them, use the beer locator on Breckenridge's website and it will tell you exactly where you can go to find them uh also we uh we are now partnering with bojo's pizza where you can find delicious colorado mountain pies if you mention dnvr you get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree it's a steal yesterday when i was uh tucked into the corner of my couch reading up on coaches and calling people and writing about coaches most of the DNVR crew went to Bojo's for lunch and got to make fun of Allie for not being able to eat cheese, which is like my second favorite thing to do um, right behind uh, making fun of Allie for not eating spicy foods. But uh, I missed it. I missed Allie not being able to eat cheese at a pizza place, which again, I would dream of being able to do. Um, yeah. So, if you want Bojo's but can't make it out there, you can also use DoorDash. Bojo's is on DoorDash. It'd be weird if you couldn't get there, though, because there are six Colorado locations. They put honey in the crust. They have cheeseless pizza. They have gluten-free pizza. They have plant-based options. They have a salad bar. Again, if you mention DNVR, you can get a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree at all locations. Just do it. Um... Okay, um, let's go to the comments next, see how many there are, and then we'll get into some basketball afterward. Okay, uh, first comment, Sunny Rain. Hey Henry, long time no hear from me. It's been a really bad end to 2019 and beginning to 2020 for me in my life. Oh, that's, that's too bad. I lost my mother to cancer early January after a tough three-month battle. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I my grandpa died last uh Wednesday, I wanna say. So a little over a week ago, also from cancer. Um it's tough. Feel for you. Uh sorry about that. Then a couple weeks later, we were all crushed by the news of the tragic de demise of Kobe Bryant and those with him on that foggy Sunday morning. As a SoCal resident, it was like an emotional zombie land for about two weeks. Finally, January ended, and maybe I can see a begin see a begin on the road to some healing emotionally. Nope, not so fast. Yeah, Kobe also. I had the I had those things, those experiences backwards. Kobe died right before my grandpa, so I almost felt like I like it was like a warm up almost, like as crushing as that was. It was like ah, well now now I'm ready for this. I just went through that, you know. I don't know, like like pregame. I'm doing shoot around and then that. Yeah, um, not so fast. This deal with Mel Tucker has me all kinds of twisted up. I'm pissed. 
I'm disappointed, but more than anything, I feel like a big old charms blow pop sucker. I can't imagine what those who work around the program, like yourself, must be feeling. And the players, the ones who embraced the message, worked extra hard, played hard to show themselves to be worthy of approval, just sad. We all bought in. We all believe that, yes, why not us? As for the search for a coach, I'm left feeling like there's nothing out there for us to really be excited about. Hopefully, Rick George can pull off a bit of magic. Whatever he comes up with, please feel free to put a staggering buyout in the contract this time. Ugh. Oh, MMO, Pac-12 Commish, Larry Scott, please resign. You're killing us. Thanks, Henry. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's been tough. We haven't even talked about Larry Scott. Um, gots to go. I think, I don't know how much there really is to talk about other than, yep, he's bad at his job. And he isn't just bad at his job, but there are symptoms of him being bad at his job. There are consequences, and we are feeling those right now, and it is our turn as Colorado people to say Larry Scott needs to be fired, whereas a couple months ago when Mike Leach left, it was the Washington State fans' time to be saying, Larry Scott, you have to leave. And before you know, and it just keeps going over and over and over with every coaching search that ends with a subpar candidate being hired and every head coach who leaves for a better job and every time a Pac-12 school loses to an ACC school or an SEC school or the one that keeps happening, a group of five school. Yeah, Larry Scott, it's it's time it's time to make a change. You, you know, we, we've been hearing that they're waiting until it's time to renegotiate a new contract, a TV deal, that that's going to be about the time when the pressure turns on. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll find somebody new. Maybe that's Rick George. I sure hope not because it turns out, <laughs> again, he has a massive decision to make. He and Lance Carl, those will be the two making the decision and to not have Rick George out there again talking talking to boosters in particular they'll say hey uh you know what this is a bad situation thank goodness that it is Rick Carl I almost called him oh no 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 that was a weird mix up I almost called him George Carl and I went with Rick Carl and then Rick George I threw that yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't matter point is uh Rick George uh he is according to the boosters, exactly who they want. They don't want, I mean, they're like, well, everything's going to be fine now. If it had been bone running this, then uh, we'd be panicked. Hopefully Rick George doesn't go to be the Pac-12 commissioner. It, it would have been a lot easier to swallow if uh, Mel Tucker was entering year two or year three, more likely in Colorado when it happened. You're like, okay, we, we have this all set up. It's, it's time to coast. There isn't too much for the athletic director to be doing, um, but that is not the case. That is not the case. Um, until we see a coach come in, have success, we want Rick George here as insurance to bring in whoever it is. He's been doing a great job. Um, I've been impressed with the way he's handled everything. Um, we'll see how the coaching search goes. We'll see if he can lure Robert Sala out of uh, San Francisco, their defensive coordinator, um, it's unlikely he wasn't interested in the Michigan State job, and he has a bunch of Michigan ties. He's born in Michigan. Uh, got his f- coaching start at a school in Michigan. Would seem like that'd be the college job that would most appeal to him. But again, there are other circumstances at Michigan State. Um, so the, the sanctions likely on the way, all that kind of stuff. Um, so who knows? Maybe he can pull a guy like that, a big name. Um, 
We'll see. Maybe Urban Meyer. Maybe Urban Meyer just says, you know what? I'm going to give you guys a gift and come coach. Because he was he was super interested in the Cowboys job. And Jason Garrett was due to make $6 million this year. Um, they haven't released what Mike McCarthy's making in his place. But $6 million, getting that down to, could the Buffs afford 3.5? Could they afford 4? Eh, may, maybe that'd make it happen. I don't know. It's not going to It's. I should stop getting you guys' hopes up that Urban Meyer would even be interested. Plus, you know, he does have some stuff in his background that would should make us skeptical. If you just just read the thing I wrote. Um, what else was in that comment? Uh, oh, you feel like a big old Charms Blow Pop sucker? Love that. I might steal that, but not in a situation where you could ever find out, Sunny Rain. Um, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Oh, people like us covering and close to the program. I know that people who... Again, the, who I feel the worst for in all of this, like I feel for the kids. The kids are in a tough spot, but I think that there's going to be another good coach coming in, and you know, there's a there's a 25 percent chance they all wind up in a better situation that they were than they were in with Mel. Um, there's a chance that they're going to get burned. Who I really feel bad for are you know the, the people who who work on you know the the graphic design staff um those types the staffers the equipment people who legitimately do not know if they have jobs they do not know if they have jobs you know they're talking to them they say yeah like i'm starting a job hunt because i don't know if the new guy is going to retain me and and for people like that it's similar to the process that will go uh through with the assistant coaches as well um you know, Mel is now in East Lansing. He's going to he's going to start likely by going through his Colorado staff and saying, I want you to come with, come with me. Um, that's, you know, he, he hired a lot of people. Simone George, for example, the recruiting coordinator, recruiting director. I, I should know. I th- is it recruiting directors or title? I think it is. But she's somebody who's from the the southeast and only came to Colorado because Mel wanted her to come to Colorado and there's a good chance that somebody like her is going to get offered a job from Mel to go to uh East Lansing it could also be that Mel has whoever else um that he's more interested in and they go up there and whoever comes into Colorado might say sorry Simone I have my own people um, and she's just an example. There, there are so many of those people that we see. I mean, primarily, we all see them on Twitter. Um, occasionally, I'll see them at like practice or something. But that's a while ago. So now it's like, oh yeah, Jeff Martin. Like you know, you know all these Twitter people. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough time for all those people. And again, the way the timeline works, Mel is a week ahead of the Buffs, likely. You know, if, if, if he was, if his hire was announced on Monday, um, or I guess he was Tuesday, then are the Buffs going to announce their hire Wednesday, Thursday of the next week? That'd even be pretty quick. So, so Mel will be able to go through, take whoever he wants. And again, if, if you're a, let's just say a graphic designer who is on the Colorado staff, you're going to get that call that says, Hey, will you take this job out here at Michigan State? I need to hear by tomorrow. But you're not going to hear whether you have a job with Colorado for another four or five days after that, six days, eight days after that. And you can't turn down a job when you don't know if you have another option. 
that's that's who I really feel bad for. Like I feel bad for the players, the kids as well, because um, they're they're getting themselves into something they didn't sign up for, but at least they still get to play football. You know they get to play football, whether it's a better circumstance or a worse circumstance. It's it's likely that's a worse circumstance, but they they still have a little more upside. And I guess you know these guys could get offered jobs at East Lansing and. They'd likely get paid more, and maybe you like that better because they won't have to be the ones. I guess some of them depends on who it is. Some of them will be the ones who have to deal with whatever the consequences coming to that school for the mistakes or not. I don't know if you call them mistakes, the poor decisions they made, um, the, the cheating they did. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are really impacted by this. Um, and the fans, you, you guys, it's been a rough couple of days. Um, for me, like I said earlier, like it's too bad. And there was a moment when I saw my career flash before my eyes. Part of the reason I was interested in coming down here and covering the bus was because I thought Mel Tucker was going to lead them to something special. And that, that isn't, that's that's not even half of what decides who has a good long career in media and sports media. But you look at a guy like, uh, um, oh, Brian Windhorst, for example. Brian Windhorst covered LeBron in high school and because of that became pretty much the LeBron insider and has turned that into a career at ESPN where he makes a whole lot of money. He's an he's a very talented guy. He's good at what he does. I mean, you'd have to be to be able to to parlay knowing LeBron into a full career. But he was given a great opportunity because of that. And that's part of what you look for in a job in sports media is, oh wow, there are going to be some cool things coming at Colorado. Let's be the guy who is the first on all those things and p- gains more exposure because of that. That's a small part. It's a small part. And the flashing my career flash before my eyes that was an overreaction and it was gone in an instant. But yeah, that part of it's really hard. Plus, it's a lot more fun to cover happy people and people who win football games. Um, at the same time, it I, it has improved my relationships with a lot of boosters, people in the athletics department um, all over because I've been on the phone with them constantly talking through all this, sharing what we're hearing, um, trying to get I have it confirmed so I can share more. I've been able to share some of it. I hope you guys have enjoyed some of that, um, some of these insights, um, like the enemy stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a stressful time. It's all work, you know? Like, I, I joke about the Breckenridge beers thing, but at the same time, you know, roommate texts, texts a group chat and says, hey, want to go out tonight? And I'm like, well, I, I'll go out. Let's just stay close so I can catch a quick Uber back if there's a quick story to write and I'm not going to have more than a beer an hour or something like that. You know, it's it's a stressful time, but this is the f- also the fun part, you know, getting anonymous DMs from burner accounts that say blah, 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 and then trying to dig back through. You know, there's it's just a weird time. It's a weird time. And you have a schedule for content. You do all the interviews early in the week with the basketball players and you want to get all those written up and now you're here um this isn't my vent time though i guess it turned into it next comment nacho class 13 uh head coach prospects eric b enemy darren cheverini <laughs> pasta j dan hawkins lol 
Okay, um, let's see where this goes. In all seriousness, seriousness, yes, I want a coach who is committed to CU. Yes, I would love a fellow buff to lead the football team. Yes, I want the program to win six-plus games in 2020, but I do not want a repeat of the Embry hire, where the program had a mad urge to get back to the roots of tradition following the Hawkins era. I think Rick George is realistically looking at someone who fires up the athletes, the staff, and will continue to transform CU football. My questions, which you touched on in the pod, are about who stays on the staff. Who takes over D-line? Hagan probably stays, but I doubt the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator kept on. Tucker may pick them up anyway. I'm interested to see what type of playbook Chev brings in for the offense if he can run it his way. Nonetheless, I will head into the season this fall with skeptical optimism. Finally, I would be looking to see how many people Tucker tries to steal away from CU and who he actually brings on can run the offense, defense. Sko Buffs, Cole Cook. Hey, Cole. Nacho class. I like it. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, where are we starting here? Um, a lot of good points. Because, here, let's start Let's start with this. Um, Mel tweeted, or no, Mel didn't tweet last night, but somebody tweeted last night, a reporter said, Mel is not bringing back any of the assistant coaches at Michigan State. So right now, the Michigan State coaching staff is Mel Tucker and literally nobody else. Uh, I'd be interested to know what the what what is going on this morning there. Like, was there were there workouts? Who ran the workouts? Are these guys working knowing that they're going to be replaced? Is is the strength and conditioning staff staying? Um, again, this is not when the, these things are supposed to be happening. Um. Though those situations are why you would expect moves to be made very quickly. Um, a couple of things. So these two factors kind of counteract each other. Um, first, Mel Tucker knows all of the coaches at Colorado. He knows who he wants to work with again. He knows who he doesn't want to work with. A lot of them were hand-chosen by him to come to Colorado last year. So... When there are so many open jobs at Michigan State, and this is a pool of guys who Mel Tucker has either hand-chosen before or has worked with and may have realized he likes, you would expect a lot of these guys to be offered jobs with Mel. Like I said earlier, the new guy who comes into Colorado may say the exact same thing that Mel Tucker said and just say, you know what? I'm not keeping any of you. I'm bringing in all my guys. These assistant coaches don't know whether they even have the option to stay. And so if they take a job at Michigan State, do not, do not just scream at them because of that. Uh, because they, they're they in a tough spot. They they don't know if they have the option to stay. It's it's a gamble to stay. And odds are for a lot of them, you know, I, I think Chev, I think Darren Hagan, they'll be offered jobs here. Uh, because they, uh, they, are buffs for forever. They they have good relationships. All those different things. The same reasons they stayed when Mel Tucker was hired here. Um, so yeah. First of all, don't treat them like traitors when inevitably a couple of them leave because first of all, they're making a lot more money. And second of all, they don't know that they have the option to stay. It's, I would say for most of them, about a coin flip. Um you know, Coach Cap, it's better than a coin flip that whoever comes in says, you can stay. Um, 
but also he's probably going to be one of the ones that's offered the most money by Mel Tucker and is most likely to get that offer. So so there is all of that going on that would make you think that some of these guys are going to leave. On the other end, Mel's budget to hire assistant coaches has essentially doubled. So if, if you were hiring a coach and saying, I want you to be my defensive line coach, I can give you 300 grand a year. Well, now you're looking at a pool of candidates who you're offering 600 grand a year to. Um, so, so it could be that the guys who he could convince to come to Colorado aren't as qualified, don't have the resumes of the guys who he can convince to go to Michigan State right now. So that would mean that it's less likely that he would take these guys from Colorado. But then on the other hand, you also have the fact that uh, a lot of coaches already have jobs right now recently were hired to jobs, which means they have higher buyouts and the pool isn't as deep as it would have been a couple of months ago, which would mean that guys who don't know what their future holds and might be more willing to take a new job are few and far between. A lot of those guys are Colorado coaches because they don't know if they have jobs going forward. So so, that, so there's just this whole web of factors pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling. And uh, yeah, who knows who's going to go, who's going to stay. Um, I think I've said before, I, I'm pretty confident. Um, you know, I haven't seen what Jason Harris has been tweeting. You know, Ashad, and I don't think we've talked about this, Ashad has been heavy on... Uh, heavy 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 on staying with the buffs it's uh it's actually been really cool to see um that's the kind of story that honestly buff fans have had to cling to for too long um you know for for 20 years or so they haven't been able to say you know what a fun story is going out and winning a national championship competing for a national championship but stuff like a shot and i read this tweet on the last podcast too saying for the outsiders, I did not sign to Colorado for Coach Tuck. I did it for me and my future to put myself in the best position. Of course, the people are going to have irrelevant things to say, but don't speak on a situation that you don't know. I wish Coach Tuck and his family the best. God's plan. He's bought in. And just before that, just before that, he tweeted, Wizard. Just Wizard. Just the one word, Wizard. Um, again, he's he, he Byron Wizard White's... Uh, Number 24 is being unretired. Um, a shot is going to wear that number. Um, and he gets it. He gets what that means. And he's bought in. And for somebody we didn't know if they were bought in to, to be saying all this right now, that just warms your heart. He, he wants to be a buff because everything possible is pushing him away from the buffs, but he wants to be a buff. There's also been other stuff. You know, this morning, uh, Terry Fry, uh, who... Uh, you know, longtime reporter, columnist in the Denver area, Colorado area. He said that he doesn't think that Colorado should have unretired those numbers. Fair take, fair take. I'm not hating on that take at all. Um, said that the next move, now that Tucker's gone, should be to re-retire them and don't let a guy who isn't here anymore be the one responsible for changing all that history. You know, I personally don't agree, but the reason I bring it up is that Ashad retweeted that. Ashad just retweeted somebody saying, retire those numbers now. Like, 
he wants he wants to do well in that number 24 which is just so cool is just so cool to me um I, th- I think it was actually this morning he tweeted and he deleted this tweet for maybe good reason. It's kind of a controversial tweet, but he said, Ashad Wizard Clayton sounds pretty good to me. Like he wants that nickname. He wants to represent Wizard White. And that's tough to do. And, you know, I, I, if, if some of you say you shouldn't be saying things like that, you have to go out there and prove it before you say that you want to have his nickname that you want to wear his number. You know what? That's that's totally a fair take. But for me personally, I like seeing it. I like seeing him say, you know what? I want to be Wizard. He's he's my new idol, and I'm going to wear his number 24, and I'm going to see if I'm worthy of his nickname and all these different things. Um, gets me fired up. And you see a lot of that kind of stuff going on um, among a lot of these recruits. Um, I actually haven't seen many tweets from Jason Harris, uh, which is interesting. Um, just scrolling through now. Um, his, he retweeted his mom who said, thank you for all the text and direct messages. Adaptability is an undervalued quality standing in favor and trusting in the Lord. So yeah, Jason's been pretty quiet about the whole thing. Um, that's scary for sure. And if he decides that he wants to do something else, then again, he has had the rug pulled out from under him. You can't blame him. As I've said before, and as I will continue to say, I think that he goes where Brian Mikulowski goes. I truly do. Um, And if Mikulowski, who was the youngest coach on staff, gets offered a job at Michigan State, you know, he might take it, even if it is a demotion. Um, We'll see. We'll see, um, because he probably compared to the to the coaches that Mel could pull in to be an outside linebackers coach at Michigan State. He is less qualified, um, not unqualified, but less qualified than the people who typically make twice as much money as he makes. That's just the way the world works. Um, but he could be offered a different job. He could be offered that job. Um, and, and he doesn't know that he has a job at all at Colorado, especially as the youngest guy on staff. Um, you know, there's just so many factors everywhere. And I do think that his relationship with Jason, um, will lead to Jason probably going where he goes. Um, that could also make Mel more likely to have him because maybe he thinks the same thing as me. Um, so I don't know. There's there's different reasons to think that different coaches would go. Cap, because he's an incredible coach. Um, a guy like Mikulowski, because he has a relationship with a recruit and also is a young up-and-coming coach. And, I mean, there's a reason Jason Harris has that sort of relationship. So you kind of just have to wait and see. kind of just have to wait and see. Um, Tyson Summers, Jay Johnson, it's it's just so interesting. Um, I don't even know. Um, we'll see. Uh, B Mixer says two names that could be interesting are Steve Sarkeesian and Ryan Walters, a CU player that has been the Missouri defensive coordinator for the last seven, several years. In my opinion, if they do not hire somebody for spring practice, Chev will be the coach next year. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot about Steve Sarkeesian and Ryan Walters. I think that those are some pretty good outside takes. Um, I'd be happy with either of them. In my opinion, uh, yeah, if they don't hire anybody by spring practice, Chev will be the coach. Yeah, I think that that's a good good thought. I, I think that the odds would be in favor of that. Um, I will also say um, 
that the Buffs cannot push spring practices back because the last week of classes is the weekend of the bye or not the bye game, this the spring game. And so they don't have like wiggle room. They can't say, okay, we have one more week here. Um, let's just shift everything back a week and start from there. They're pretty much just sticking to the same schedule. Um, worth keeping that in mind as well. Um, yeah. I, I do think that if Chev is still the coach, you pretty much have to roll with it um, for a year. Uh, the last question. Ooh, also Nacho Class 13, our guy Cole Cook. Uh, Ryan Walters. What type of scheme does he run? I definitely see him as a potential DC hire. Um, yeah, so if defensive coordinator, you mean by like promoting a defensive coordinator to head coach at Colorado, then yes, he won't come over as just a defensive coordinator. Uh, Colorado can't afford it. He's got a pretty good gig at Missouri anyway. Um, and, you know, I we didn't talk much about Ryan Walters other than me repeatedly saying he's the favorite, but I'm going to spend my time talking about guys who aren't the favorite. Um yeah, so what was the question? What type of scheme does he run? Um, it's different than Colorado's. It is different than Colorado's, and he actually uh, changed it at Missouri this year. Um, so before they were running a 4-3, um, right now the Buffs run... Well, here, so so before they were running a 4-3, um, now it's a 4-2-5. It's a base nickel package. You only have the two linebackers, and what they did was add a position called the boundary position, which is honestly pretty much the star position. It's just their way of saying like strong side linebacker who um, is like a hybrid DB linebacker and can take care of slot receivers and all that kind of different stuff. He's, he's their weapon. He's their Davion Taylor. Um, so it is a different front. Um, so Colorado runs their, it's a 3-4, but in a lot of ways it's a 3-3-5, three, three, depending on whether you want to call the star a defensive back or a linebacker. Um, when when Colorado goes heavy, though, it is a 3-4. Um, when they take the star off for another linebacker, when Missouri goes heavy, it would be still that 4-3. So that's a change. Um, it changes the gaps that the defensive linemen have to play. I do think that they're all pretty adaptable. You could find a way to make it work. Um Here's one thing that I will say about why I think that a 4-3 might make more sense, or like the 4-2-5, whatever. Um, having four linemen, four defensive linemen, makes more sense to me than having three defensive linemen and a pass-rushing stand-up linebacker. Um, and it's honestly just the personnel fits right now. Carson Wells could break out this year. He had some good moments last year. He had some good moments the year before. This could be the year that he puts it together and starts playing really good football. Um, as of right now, though, the defensive line that Colorado has, I like them more than I like the outside linebacker group, the pass-rushing outside linebacker group. I would rather see you put Alfano at defensive end um, then you have like probably Sami and Mustafa inside, and then on the other side you'd have uh, Terrence Lang. Um, Naeem Rodman is probably inside. Um, Jason Harris would probably be outside. 
he would have to put up put on more weight. He would move to a defensive end instead of outside linebacker, um, but he would have to be just a little bit heavier. Um, and he needs to be heavier as an outside linebacker too, probably. But you can hide it a little bit more in the three four than you could in the four three. So I just really like the depth at defensive line. The more opportunities you have to put those guys out there, I like it. Um, he, Ryan Walters was also extremely successful. I believe he. Uh, you you could check the notes in the story. I don't have them pulled up anymore. But I believe he took like the hundred and eighth ranked defense. Uh, and turned it into a top 25 defense in terms of points per game and total defense yards per game. So the success is there. The scheme is working. Um, again, like like uh, Avalos, he changed that defense. Um, maybe not quite as big of a change, in my opinion, as Avalos's change, but he did take off the linebacker, add the boundary position, which, again, is essentially their, their word for star. Um, I think that... I, I like it. I, th- I think that that change could be beneficial. Um, yeah, the, that's kind of an overview. And since we're coming up on uh, an hour and 15 minutes, I should probably uh, tell you real quickly about basketball um, because there's a lot to say about basketball. Um, before, though, I, uh, Green Mountain Dental is an incredible partner of ours. And they have an incredible special just for DNVR listeners. Uh, if you schedule a cleaning, an x-ray, and an exam today, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's an awesome toothbrush. If you're like me and you're not great at brushing your teeth, like like I do it, but I'm not good at it. Like I get I get distracted very easily. And so then like I'm not necessarily like brushing really well. I'm just kind of like moving a toothbrush in my mouth. So I'm thinking about something else. If you have the Sonicare toothbrush, it will like a buzz for you and like keep cleaning well, even if you forget that you have to be super focused to do a good job. Um, they've been our partner for forever. They're only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. Um, it's, it's, it's just a great deal. Like they, they, they send you birthday cards. They do that kind of stuff. Um, they're, they're family owned, they're Colorado sports fans. That's how they found us. Um, and again, if you get a cleaning and x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental, you can get a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a steal. Check out Green Mountain Dental Group for sure. Okay. Before we get out of here, which we should do soon, um, I want to talk about that Oregon game and talk basketball fans off the ledge, um, which we kind of preemptively did in the last podcast. Oh, also, just in case some of you are not as interested in basketball and are tuning out now, I do want to say that we're changing up the podcast schedule just a little bit. It's going to be pretty flexible going forward um, because of all of the things that are happening. There's going to be a weekend podcast now and taking um, one of the weekday podcasts, putting on the weekend because the Pac-12 basketball season is really heating up right now. And we're hitting this home stretch and the wait from a Saturday afternoon game until a Monday evening podcast is just too long. So there's going to be more weekend pods, a little bit less um, weekday pods in exchange for that. Also, we don't really know what's going on with the coaching search. So at any moment, there could be a need for an emergency pod, which will throw off the schedule a little bit. I appreciate your flexibility. Um, keep leaving comments. I'll, I'll keep answering them in the next pod, podcast, all that kind of stuff. Um, if, if the buffs are going to be chaos, then my podcast is going to be chaos as well. 
Um, okay, uh, that basketball game against Oregon. Buffs lose 68-60 after having a 14-point lead at halftime. Is that right? Uh, they had a 20-point run, the fourth long, fourth uh, best run in podcast or not podcast history, in, ba- in Buffs basketball history. Their longest run was 24 points. <sighs> Again, just to reiterate what we said on the last podcast: if the Buffs win, then we're talking about them being a Final Four team. If they lose, then that's probably what we expect. And if they lose by 20, that would make a whole lot of sense, and that's really not changing our tanks takes at all. Um, personally, I feel a little bit better after that game. Not a lot better. Um, I think that there were a lot of good things that they showed. Um, none of the weaknesses really surprised me. Um, when you see them turn the ball over against the press, when you see them get less aggressive in the second half, um, when you see the turnovers flare up, when you see some, some rebounding troubles, you don't like to see any of those things. You wish you wouldn't see any of those things, but... You're not necessarily surprised when the problems that have plagued this team all season show up on the road in their second toughest road game of the season against the third best team that they scheduled this season. You know, you just kind of expect for some things to not go well. And that was those were some of those things. And on the other hand, we did see some things go very well. Um, we saw that run. We saw them clicking. We saw that defense shut down Peyton Pritchard there for a bit. Um, shut down their their uh, other guard, Duarte, as well um, for the entire game. Uh, the difference in this one, you know, I guess if they could have cut down the turnovers, that would have done it. If uh, they could have rebounded a little bit better, that would have done it. But um, instead of talking about that kind of stuff, you just got to say McKinley Wright, Tyler Bay, they need to play better. Ken was very, very good in the first half. He outplayed Peyton Pritchard. He shocked Bill Walton. It sounded like everything shocks Bill Walton. What a joy. I love listening to him. And I get that there are some people out there who don't. But for me, when bad things are happening to the Buffs and it's easy to get pretty down, having him say, ah, somebody needs to get these buffaloes some grass quick, you know, it just puts a smile on your face. Uh, I I love it. But, uh, yeah, Ken... If he could have continued his first half performance in the second half, they're just fine. They win that game. Tyler Bay, if he plays half like he's capable of for the entire game, then he is he is probably enough to, to help the Buffs win that game. Um, again, not surprised that that's the way it went. That's what happens when you play a good team on the road. Even if you are a good team, 48-18, and 18, that's home team's record in Pac-12 play. 48-18. and 18. That means, again, if, if you take those, on average, the home team is the same caliber of team as the road team, but the home team still wins, what is that? Uh, 40, it's like, what, just under 75% of the time, the, the home team wins in the Pac-12 when the teams are the same talent level. Guess what? Colorado and Oregon are about the same cal- caliber of team, that means Oregon, ESPN had him as like a 72% chance to win. They could have just pulled that stat from that number that I just gave you, and it would have made total sense. The Buffs weren't supposed to win that game. It's so hard to do. It would have been cool if they did it, but an eight-point loss, you know, I had him losing by 10 or 11. It's, I don't feel any worse. I don't feel any worse. 
in terms of their odds of winning the Pac-12 title game or winning the Pac-12 title, yeah, they're in a tougher spot than they were before because there was still at least that small chance that they win the game. In terms of my take on this basketball team, I don't think it's any worse than I did yesterday. I, I if anything, I think it might be a little bit better than I expected after seeing what they could do to a team like Oregon with that run. Um, if that's a neutral site game instead of a road game, Buffs win it. I'll say that. Um, even at halftime, one more thought on this. Even at halftime, I had friends from Montana texting me saying, "Wow, these Buffs sure look good. Uh, they're they're gonna win this game. They're in a great like all that kind of stuff because they don't see them that often. But when they're on ESPN, they're like, oh shit, yeah, oh hey, there was. I haven't sworn on this podcast in forever. Um, but I texted back at halftime. I was like. I mean, yeah, they look good. 60-40, Oregon wins. Guess what? Oregon won the game. That's what still should have happened. Um, Yeah, so those are my thoughts on that game. The game against tomorrow now, yeah, it's almost a must win. Um, I think it probably is a must win. And they've put themselves in these situations. When they dropped that game to UCLA, USC became a must win. When they dropped the game at home against Oregon State, uh, the next game up, was that Arizona State right after that? That that game became a must win. You lose to Arizona. The next one becomes a must win. It's it's what just keeps happening, and that's just how competitive this conference is. Um, so far, the Buffs have done a great job bouncing back. We'll see if they can do it one more time, um, and then hopefully from here on out, they win the games they should win. We we said before the season, if they if they take care of business at home, which for the most part they've done. That Oregon State loss that hurts, but for the most part they've taken care of business at home then what you have to do is split your road trips and see if you can get one road sweep, maybe two road sweeps. And that's what Tad said. That's what we've been saying. This wasn't the, this wasn't the road sweep you're going to get, and this is one of the toughest road splits that you're going to, that you're going to have to get. Arizona, uh, the Arizona trip being the other one in my mind. Um, they did it backwards in Southern California. But you know what? Here we are. The buffs are not out of this. Their path the rest of the way is tougher. I think they have, what, five road games? Yeah. No, 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 no. No, it is five. It's five. And one, no. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, this has been chaos. They have two games at home. They have four games on the road. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. Um. So, yeah. They're in a tough spot because they're tied with teams who have that flipped. But we'll see. Um, they're capable. They're more than capable. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for today. I'll be back sometime this weekend probably. Uh, no, definitely to talk about um, this game, whatever happens in the game against Oregon State tomorrow, and also more about who could be the Buffs coach. Um, we will see about that. Stressful times, stressful times. I hope you guys are all hanging in there. Luckily, I have a whole bunch of great people at DNVR with ideas and help and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, you guys have people like that too, because this is a tough time for all of us. Um, I will see you this weekend. Bye, guys. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it, play.